This is a 77 WABC special presentation. This is Joe Biden's State of the Union Address with commentary by Rita Cosby. Now, here's Rita Cosby. And welcome to 77 WABC's special State of the Union Address. This is Rita Cosby, and I'll be with you for what is going to be an action-packed next hour plus first President Biden, who is already there on Capitol Hill, he's already in the House of Representatives chambers, now greeting individuals, especially Democrats, shaking hands as he is walking up to the podium for what will be his second State of the Union address. He didn't address before Congress in his first year, but that's technically not the State of the Union. So his first State of the Union was last year. It was March 1st, 2022. He went about an hour. It was an hour and one minutes. Uh, so we will see what he does tonight and we'll see as he lays out his case to America. And boy, he really has to not only bring in Democrats, but also Republicans. But if you look at some of the latest polls, he is doing even poorly with Democrats in various polls, 36, 37 percent approval rating among his own party. So he's got to really make the case tonight. And the question is, does he have what it takes? Boy, are there a lot of issues, too. And we're going to be taking your calls because I can't wait to see. Will he address the issue of China? Will he try to sound like he was tough? on getting down that spy balloon, which took eight days for him to bring it down after it traversed the United States over our secret military bases. Will he talk about the border, which is wide open, but pretend that it's closed and that he's doing something about immigration? Will he talk about crime? Will he talk about law enforcement? Will he talk about the economy? Will he talk about gas prices, which, again, is a very questionable topic because, yes, Gas prices have come down, but they're still at least a buck higher than when he took office, a buck higher than when President Trump left office. So there's a lot of serious questions tonight. And let's see what he says, and we will be fact-checking it along the way and telling it to you straight. Also, after the president speaks, we'll also be dipping in and out and giving you the best highlights from Arkansas Governor Sarah Sanders, who will be delivering the GOP response to the State of the Union. She's, of course, the first woman. She's the 47th governor of Arkansas. Um, and she was also inaugurated just about a month ago. She is the youngest governor in the country at age 40 and, of course, best known as the former press secretary of President Trump. So that's an interesting sign that Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy both picked her as the one, the rising star, because usually that's a very coveted spot to be giving the GOP response. And tonight there are a lot of topics on the plate. You can bet he's going to be talking about economy. There's word that he might even be going after smokers. Uh, there's word he's going to be talking about a billionaire's tax. Uh, there's word that he might even have to address China somehow. The question is, as I mentioned earlier, how's he going to do it? Um, as he's entering the chamber now, he's shaking hands with his defense secretary, Lloyd Austin. We also saw the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, was there. Of course, uh, members of the Supreme Court there as well. But will he actually say that he's tough on foreign policy? Will he say he's tough on domestic policy? And where 
Will he actually meet the moment and also say, well, maybe I should have done things differently? It seems with everything, it's always blaming Putin. It's blaming the Republicans. Will he use the phrase MAGA Republicans, which seems to be tough for him to uh, avoid saying? We know that Kevin McCarthy, the new House Speaker, who will be behind him tonight, along with Kamala Harris on the other side. Well, we know that he has asked for President Biden to actually bring unity tonight. He has said, we want to hear a president who's a president for all Americans. The question is, will President Biden actually listen to that advice? Because he seems to want to bash Republicans at every turn. So will he actually meet the moment and what will he get applause on? Usually you typically see sort of they're like lemmings. Usually you see like on a dress like this, the Democrats will be clapping. The Republicans sit down. Will he get any applause from Republicans tonight? And will he get any applause from the American public as well? By the way, interesting guests in the audience, too. Uh, Tyree Nichols family will be a guest of the First Lady. Also, Ukraine's ambassador to the United States will also be there, as well as many others. And now let's listen to President Biden address the nation in his State of the Union, the second one, as he is announcing the First Lady and others. Mr. Speaker. Thank you. You can smile. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Mr. Speaker, Madam Vice President, our First Lady and Second Gentleman, good to see you guys up there. Members of Congress. By the way, Chief Justice, I may need a court order. She gets to go to the, the game tomorrow, uh, next week. I have to stay home. <laughs> Got to work something out here. Members of the Cabinet, leaders of our military, Chief Justice, Associate Justice, and retired Justice of the Supreme Court, and to you, my fellow Americans. You know, uh, I start tonight by congratulating the 118th Congress and the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Speaker, I don't want to ruin your reputation, but I look forward to working with you. (laughs) And I want to congratulate the new leader of the House Democrats, the first African-American minority leader in history, Hakeem Jeffries. One, despite the fact I campaigned for him. <laughs> Congratulations to the longest-serving leader in the history of the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell. Where are you, Mitch? <laughs> and congratulations to Chuck Schumer, another 
you know, another term is Senate Minority Leader. Uh, you know, I think you uh, – only this time you have a slightly bigger majority, Mr. Leader, and you're the majority leader. About that much bigger? Yeah. Well, I tell you what. I want to give special recognition to someone who I think is going to be considered the greatest speaker in the history of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. Folks, the story of America is a story of progress and resilience, of always moving forward, of never, ever giving up. It's a story unique among all nations. We're the only country that has emerged from every crisis we've ever entered stronger than we got into it. Look, folks, that's what we're doing again. Two years ago, the economy was reeling. I stand here tonight after we've created, with the help of many people in this room, 12 million new jobs, more jobs created in two years than any president's created in four years because of you all, because of the American people. Two years ago, and two years ago, COVID had shut down, our businesses were closed, our schools were robbed of so much, and today, COVID no longer controls our lives. And two years ago, democracy faced its greatest threats in the Civil War. And today, though bruised, our democracy remains unbowed and unbroken. As we gather here tonight, we're writing the next chapter in the great American story, a story of progress and resilience. When world leaders ask me to define America, and they do, believe it or not, I say I can define it in one word, and I mean this, possibilities. We don't think anything is beyond our capacity. Everything is a possibility. You know, we're often told that Democrats and Republicans can't work together. But over the past two years, we've proved the cynics and naysayers wrong. Yes, we disagreed plenty. And yes, there were times when Democrats went alone. But time and again, Democrats and Republicans came together, came together to defend a stronger and safer Europe. It came together to pass one in a, gen one in a generation, once in a generation infrastructure law, building bridges connecting our nation and our people. We came together to pass the most significant law ever, helping victims expose the toxic burn pits. And in fact, It's important. And in fact, I signed over 300 bipartisan pieces of legislation since becoming president, from reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act, the Electoral Count Reform Act, the Respect for Marriage Act that protects the right to marry the person you love. And to my Republican friends, if we could work together the last Congress, there's no reason we can't work together and find consensus on important things in this Congress as well. I think folks, you all are as formed as I am, but I think the people sent us a clear message. Fighting for the sake of fighting. 
Power for the sake of power, conflict for the sake of conflict gets us nowhere. That's always been my vision of our country, and I know it's many of yours. To restore the soul of this nation, to rebuild the backbone. And of you are listening to President Biden's State of the Union address. I had to chime in because I knew he was going to go there on the economy. Uh, within minutes of starting out, he mentions the fact that he says, and I should say it's his set of facts or his set of comments because it's not a fact. Uh, that they created 12 million new jobs, more jobs created than any president in two terms. Well, the reason is because of COVID, not because of President Biden's job-creating machine, but because of COVID, because he came in with so many jobs lost uh, because of the coronavirus, which devastated America, devastated the world. So immediately he is going on his economic message clearly at the top to say, look, I created X new jobs. Well, that's because any president who came in and COVID had faded would have created that many jobs, if not many more. Uh, he technically, there were about two million is believed to have been created uh, as the change between COVID and now. But he claims it's 12 million, which everybody else says, wait a minute, uh, there were more than 10 million jobs lost. Uh, so how can you really say that you created 12 million new brand new jobs and so lots of questions there already uh you can tell he is going to be spinning a couple numbers let's listen in to see where else he is going unemployment rate is at 3.4 percent a 50-year low a near record a near record unemployment Near record unemployment for black and Hispanic workers. We've already created, with your help, 800,000 good-paying manufacturing jobs, the fastest growth in 40 years. And where is it written? Where is it written that America can't lead the world in manufacturing? And I don't know where that's written. For too many decades, we imported projects and exported jobs. Now, thanks to what you've all done, we're exporting American products and creating American jobs. <laughs> Folks, inflation, inflation has been a global problem because the pandemic disrupted our supply chains and Putin's unfair and brutal war in Ukraine disrupted ener energy supplies as well as food supplies, blocking all that grain in Ukraine. But we're better positioned than any country on Earth right now. But we have more to do. But here at home, inflation is coming down. Here at home, gas prices are down $1.50 from their peak. Food inflation is coming down. Not fast enough, but coming down. Inflation has fallen every month for the last six months, while take-home pay has gone up. Additionally, over the last two years, a record 10 million Americans applied to start new businesses. 10 million. And by the way, every time, every time someone starts a small business as an act of hope, and Madam Vice President, I want to thank you for leading that effort to ensure the small businesses have access to capital and the historic laws we enacted that are going to just come into being. Standing here last year, I shared with you a story of American genius and possibilities semiconductors, small computer chips the size of a fingerprint that power everything from cell phones to automobiles and so much more. 
These chips were invented in America. Let's get that straight. They were invented in America. We used to make 40 percent of the world's chips. In the last several decades, we lost our edge. We're down to only producing 10 percent. We all saw what happened during the pandemic when chip factories shut down overseas. Today's automobiles need 3,000 chips, each of those automobiles. But American automobiles couldn't make enough cars because there weren't enough chips. Car prices went up. People got laid off. So did everything from refrigerators to cell phones. We can never let that happen again. That's why. That's why we came together to pass the Bipartisan Chips and Science Act. And you are listening to 77 WABC's special State of the Union coverage. I'm Rita Cosby. I have to chime in again when I just heard President Biden, as predicted, stated again that they created 800,000 new manufacturing jobs. That's, of course, because we lost so many during the coronavirus. So he was trying to make up the deficit, but not bringing up the fact that it wasn't his policies that created those jobs. Uh, one of the other things, too, is interesting. He blames President Putin. It's like everybody else's fault but President Biden's. He said Putin disrupted our energy supplies. What about the fact that this president cut down energy independence, basically cut energy independence in America off at its knees? And he didn't bring that up. He makes it sound like Putin is responsible for the issues of energy that have happened in this country. And also, we are taking your calls tonight, by the way, everybody, to get your thoughts on what you're hearing. Uh, are you hearing just the same old story from this president that he hopes if he says it over and over again, uh, that maybe somebody will believe some of these numbers? It's 1-800-848-9222, one 848 And I'll take your calls as we continue to listen together to this gobbledygook of bad jokes and much more, the State of the Union Address. WABC. It's Joe Biden's State of the Union. Now, here's Rita Cosby. And we are continuing now with our special 77 WABC State of the Union coverage. The president is speaking and just getting applause from Democrats And in fact, kind of tepidly, even at certain points from Democrats, that's because he is laying out his economic plan. But yet so far, what we've heard and you've been listening along with me, it has been pretty fumbly and bumbly. Um, And already a lot of things that you can fact check on and kind of go, well, that's not correct. Uh, The latest one, he was just talking about gas prices, saying gas prices are down. Look how much I have brought them down. Well, that's not exactly the case. Take a listen. First off, here is Steve Moore, who talked about this, the great economist, who basically says when Biden says that, that's a lie. He's going to claim that he he is reducing gas prices. He's reducing gas prices. Well, the gas price was two dollars and fifty cents a gallon when Trump left office. Uh, it went up to about five dollars a gallon in the summer. And now it's three fifty a gallon. So he's going to claim that he's reduced the gas price. But wait a minute. Rita, it's still a dollar a gallon more today than what it was when he came into office. That's like saying uh, I let a robber in the bank 
and he only got away with half of it. You know, I mean, that's the kind of analogy that he's making. And yet here he is hoping that if he says it long enough, maybe somebody will believe that he's brought down prices to lower than they were when he took office. And that is indeed not the case, because when President Trump came in, gas was about two fifty a gallon on average. Today it is three fifty. And at one point under Biden, it was five bucks a gallon. So, yeah, he brought it down from his all time high, but not from America's all time low. Give me a break. And so in the middle of all this, we are also hearing it seems like a very tired Joe Biden. I'm actually surprised because this is supposed to basically be his soft launch for his reelection bid, because he is supposed to announce soon after tonight if he's going to run for reelection. And by all accounts, he's planning to do that. Again, as I mentioned, the latest polls, a new poll that has come out just recently, AP and others, have shown basically 37 percent of even Democrats do not want him to run again. And there are other polls that show even less want him to run again. So if you look at that kind of a number, you say tonight he has to really blow it out of the park. And so far, we're not necessarily hearing anything that's going to move the dial He's trying to make himself sound like he is sort of the American president, products made in America, all American products, Uh, talking about the infrastructure bill, also talking about victims of toxic burn pits, especially, of course, our veterans, because many of them suffered from that after 9-11 and also overseas. Um, That was powerful. There he did get some unanimous applause from both sides of the aisle. But the rest of the time, it looks like the Republicans are staying put and even some Democrats are kind of tepidly clapping. He also has been giving these kind of crazy stories. And to me, I'm not surprised to sort of hear that because at the beginning he made this joke, which really fell sort of flat, basically saying that Jill Biden, the first lady, uh, well, I got a court order. Uh, She's going to the game, the Super Bowl next week and not me. That was the way he started out the State of the Union address. And then he said speckle as opposed to special. He couldn't get the words out. He is slurring tonight. And I say this because he needs to hit it out of the park, not just obviously uh, for any independents that may be listening, but even within his own party. This is a president with incredibly low approval numbers. And because of that, he really needs to hit it out of the park for his own self. uh, So the Democrats themselves want to back him because there's a lot of uncertainty about his future. And there's certainly people like Gavin Newsom and others waiting in the wings. What are your thoughts so far of what you have heard tonight in the State of the Union address that we're listening in together? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And by the way, earlier tonight, uh, he was advised by Jen Psaki who was his former White House press secretary, Circle Baksaki, notably, who always I thought was pretty good as White House press secretary, much better than Corinne Jean-Pierre. But Circle Baksaki said what Biden needs to do is be himself, share a story, share a moment. So maybe that's what he did with that crazy, dumb joke that he told at the beginning. And he's trying to sort of do these side ad lib, which usually don't do well for this president. He, got, he has to stay on cue card. But here is Jen Psaki earlier today with her advice for her former boss, President Biden biggest speech of the year any president gives. But what he needs to do is tell a story. Joe Biden is an amazing storyteller. I mean, you sit in the Oval Office, Crane can tell you, and he can storytell for six hours. He He can storytell for six hours, like the story about Corn Pop. 
like the story about a whole bunch of other stuff that people go, wait a minute, that Bo died in Iraq. Uh, let's see what kind of tangential comments he makes tonight. You're going to be listening with all of us. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. What do you think of the State of the Union so far? And do you think Biden can stand up there tonight and say, we are protecting our country's sovereignty? And I say that with serious concern. He can sit there and talk about drug prices, infrastructure, whatever he wants to. But the bottom line is, do you feel like the border is safe? Do you feel like the skies are safe with the way he handled that Chinese spy balloon? Boy, there are a lot of questions tonight. Let's go to Manash on line one. Manash, you're here uh, with Rita Cosby doing this very special State of the Union coverage. Go ahead. I just want to say I'm sick and tired of this speech. It's lies and lies over and over, more and more. I just hope one thing, that Kevin McCarthy rips up this this speech after he's done. You know, just like uh, Nancy Pelosi famously did. And, and by the way, where were, where, by the way, Manash, where were the National Archives on that? Remember, they should have said, hey, wait, we needed that document. What are you doing destroying that document? And you just reminded me of the disrespect, the utter disrespect that the Democrats clearly had for President Trump when he was doing this address. And tonight, so far, you can see Kevin McCarthy already pledged and said to President Biden, I am urging you to talk about unity, to not slam MAGA Republicans. Um, but I'm waiting for it to seep out because this president seems to not be able to avoid it. And every speech that he has given other than this one, it seems like in the last few months, everything is blame MAGA, everything is blame Putin, uh, as opposed to personal introspection. Uh, do you foresee him changing tonight, Manash, or, or can a no, cat I, not I, change its stripes? I don't. I don't. And that's why I'm very, very, very um, disappointed that um, McCarthy is begging him to to um, stop talking of MAGA because he needs to – it has to be a fight for a fight. If he talks about MAGA, he has to rip up the State of the Union. It has to be an equal fight. Yeah, I I totally agree. And also fair and square. And by the way, you need to know uh, what somebody is saying. They shouldn't be saying one thing because they're in front of the chamber. And then every time they're out in public elsewhere, say something different. Uh, To your point, Manash, uh, that's a great point. We're going to continue with your calls after the break as we are listening to the State of the Union with a whole bunch of hogwash and slurring so far from President Joe Biden. We're going to talk about the highlights and a lot of the lowlights when we come back. WABC. It's Joe Biden's State of the Union. Now, here's Rita Cosby. And you are listening to our continuing coverage here on 77 WABC of the State of the Union. So far, lots of comments that are expected from President Biden talking about prescription drugs, health care, also touting his economy where the numbers are definitely skewed, saying, look, I created thousands upon thousands of jobs uh, all the way up to 12 million. He's saying basically not mentioning it's because of covid uh, that we lost so many jobs and any president basically would have been able to create jobs because of the comeback that happened. Also touting gas prices. And also talking about charging stations for his electric vehicles that he keeps pushing, but not saying what he did to the energy industry. Let's go to your calls. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tommy on line one. 
Uh, good evening, Rita. How are you? It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I think that Biden, is, it feels to me that Biden is, is so old that he's starting to believe his own lies. And his, his administration, his handlers might be telling him stuff all day long, and he believes a lot of this stuff. I don't think he gets enough access to the, to the world in, in like in newspapers and so forth. He doesn't understand what's going on because his handlers are not telling him. And same thing, you know, if you don't believe that our president's sane, you're, you're not going. I don't mind. I do not. I do not believe that somebody held back information for Trump on the on the balloon. I, I find that very difficult to believe. Yeah, and and what they are saying, by the way, on the balloon incident, we're waiting to see if he's going to go anywhere on that. Uh, so far, no reference to security uh, because he's clearly a very weak person on terms of security. Uh, we haven't heard anything about the border. It'll be interesting if he dares to actually say that he's uh, doing something on the border or doing something on the skies. Uh, but you're right. Um, in terms of, by the way, the latest that we've seen on the reporting on the balloon and the prior administration, what they essentially have said was that if it happened during the Trump administration, they just found out about it now and that they were minor, minor incursions. Uh, Tommy, I want to listen in because he is talking about taxes now. And he, of course, he's planning on raising taxes. Take a listen. Made $40 billion in profits and paid zero in federal taxes? Zero? Folks, it's simply not fair. But now, because of the law I signed, Billion-dollar companies have to pay a minimum of 15 percent. God love them. 15 percent. That's less than a nurse pays. And let me be crystal clear. I said at the very beginning, under my plans, as long as I'm president, nobody earning less than $400,000 will pay an additional penny in taxes. Nobody, not one penny. But let's finish the job. There's more to do. We have to reward work, not just wealth. Pass my proposal for the billionaire minimum tax. You know, there's a thousand billionaires in America. It's up from about 600 in the beginning of the term. But no billionaire should be paying a lower tax rate than a school teacher or firefighter. I mean it. Think about it. I mean, look, I know you aren't enthusiastic about that, but think about it. Think about it. Have you noticed Big Oil just reported its profits, record profits? Last year, they made $200 billion in the midst of a global energy crisis. I think it's outrageous. Why? They invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade, and that's going to exceed. (laughs) And beyond that, we're going to need it. Production. If they had, in fact, invested in the production to keep gas prices down, instead, they use the record profits to buy back their own stock, rewarding the CEOs and shareholders. Corporations ought to do the right thing. That's why I propose we quadruple the tax on corporate stock buybacks and encourage long, long-term investments. They'll still make considerable profit. 
Let's finish the job and close the loopholes that allow very wealthy to avoid paying their taxes. Instead of cutting the number of audits for wealthy taxpayers, I just signed a law to reduce the deficit by $114 billion by cracking down on wealthy tax cheats. That's being fiscally responsible. In the last two years, my administration has cut the deficit by more than $1.7 trillion, the largest deficit reduction in American history. <clears throat> Under the previous administration, the American deficit went up four years in a row. Because those record deficits, no president added more to the national debt in any four years than my predecessor. Nearly 25 percent of the entire national debt that took over 200 years to accumulate was added by just one administration alone, the last one. They're the facts. Check it out. Check it out. How did Congress respond to that debt? They did the right thing. They lifted the debt ceiling three times without preconditions or crisis. They paid American bills to prevent an economic disaster to the country. So tonight, I'm asking the Congress to follow suit. Let's commit here tonight to the full faith and credit of the United States of America will never, ever be questioned. So my many of, some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant but it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be stopped. All right. We got unanimity. Social Security and Medicare are a lifeline for millions of seniors. Americans have to pay into them from the very first paycheck they started. So tonight, Let's all agree, and apparently we are. Let's stand up for seniors. Stand up and show them. We'll not cut Social Security. We will not cut Medicare. Those benefits belong to the American people. They earned it. And if anyone tries to cut Social Security, which apparently no one's going to do, 
And if anyone tries to cut Medicare, I'll stop them. I'll veto it. And look, I'm not going to allow them to take away, be taken away. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. But apparently it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Next month, when I offer my fiscal plan, I ask my Republican friends to lay down their plan as well. I really mean it. Let's sit down together and discuss our mutual plans together. Let's do that. And you're listening to what I think was one of the more bizarre moments of State of the Union. I've covered a lot of them in my time. And he was sort of conversing almost with the audience, as you could hear, at one point accusing the Republicans of wanting to gut Social Security and Medicare. And the Republicans were shouting back. And, in fact, Marjorie Taylor Greene was shouting back in particular, pointing her finger and shouting at the president. A lot of them, uh, lots of boos you were hearing back and forth. And then he was like, well, some of you, well, maybe some of you. It was the most bizarre sort of back and forth I've ever heard where clearly the president was going off script and just trying to appeal to people in the room. Finally, he said, I guess we all agree to not cutting Medicare and Social Security, which, by the way, Republicans have said they don't plan on doing. So it was easy for them to agree to that. And at that moment, everybody in the room stood up. But clearly him trying to throw out, oh, well, they want to cut this. They want to cut that. And Republicans visibly saying, boo, that is not true. And then the president having to say, well, I guess we all agree that it won't be cut. Uh, it was just a bizarre exchange in what has already been a, quite a bit of a bizarre State of the Union address. Uh, so far, no surprises from this president. And so far, I haven't heard him say anything that really moves the dial that I think is going to help him appeal to independents, Republicans, and even those in his own party. What are your thoughts about what you have heard so far? I'm waiting for him to kind of get into critical race theory. I'm waiting to see if he's going to get to anything that remotely involves national security, whether it's our borders or referencing China, trying to take a victory lap that he finally shot down a hot air balloon that went over the United States for eight days. So far, he hasn't gone there. But let's see if he touches on it. Typically, in these State of the Union addresses, they usually do talk about the state of our country in terms of physical security, not just economic security. He also has to lay out a vision of where he is going. What is the plan? Why should he be reelected again? So he really does have to make the case. And so far, uh, I'm not hearing anything that's changed the dial, just a whole bunch of slurring words, some bad jokes, and a, a really bizarre back and forth with Republicans as he's sort of like appealing to the crowd and clearly going off script at a couple moments. And you can tell that the White House is probably like, oh, gosh, Mr. President, please keep reading the cue cards, please. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And I'm taking your calls. What do you make of President Biden's now second State of the Union address uh, and he is already taking swipes at the Republicans. He was uh, basically asked by Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, who's sitting behind him this time. Last time, remember, he had Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris behind him. He has Kamala Harris there, but now he's got a Republican in the House. And it's interesting to just sort of hear the reactions and the responses. And so far, I haven't heard anything really blockbuster. And I've just heard a president who seems a little slow on the draw. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Rick uh, on line two. Rick, your thoughts of what you heard so far in the State of the Union. 
Yeah, Rita, I want to say uh, Biden spent billions or trillions of dollars creating a bunch of green jobs that kill bats and birds and whales. So hooray for him. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. You know, and you know what I couldn't believe that he just went through, Rick, about energy independence. To me, this was outrageous. He vilified big oil companies yet again. And and as opposed to saying, hey, uh, I'm killing the jobs, what he did at least allude to was that part of the reason that big oil has not been reinvesting in infrastructure in the United States is because they're clear that this president doesn't want to invest in the oil industry. And he even said that, yeah, a lot of them are afraid to get involved because they know uh, where I sort of stand, uh, that, but it won't be in the immediate future. It's down the road. Well, why would any business start reinvesting if they know that the president's policy is to kill oil and to kill energy independence in this country? Uh, that was an astounding comment, Rick, when he basically slammed them again for making money and not wanting to invest in America, uh, as opposed to saying my policies have cut them off at the knees. Your thoughts, Rick? Right. He might as well say he's mad at Putin because Putin's making a fortune on oil because he cut our oil supply and drove the prices up. It was like ringing the dinner bell for sharks when you say I'm cutting oil production. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Rick, thanks so much for the call. We're going to continue with your calls as we are listening to this bizarre State of the Union address together here on 77 WABC. WABC. President Joe Biden's State of the Union. Now, here's Rita Cosby. And we are continuing our coverage of the State of the Union here on 77 WABC. By the way, you want to stick with us uh, because we're going to continue this. We're also going to be playing the GOP response with Sarah Huckabee Sanders after this. Boy, I can't wait to hear that one. That's going to be a good one. Uh, she, of course, is always very spirited. And then we will also have some great guests coming up, by the way, later on tonight. Uh, at 1035, we're going to have none other than Bill O'Reilly is going to be joining us for his take on the State of the Union and the GOP response. Also, Congressman Nick LaLota, who was part of the Red Wave in New York, he is going to be joining us at 1110. So an action-packed night here on 77 WABC. So far, it has been quite a bizarre State of the Union address. And you can tell kind of when he goes off script. It's like, and you can just go, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, whoa, where is he going to go with this one? Well, he didn't get a rousing reception when he tried to pin the economy and problems with the economy that we all see when we go to the grocery store. We all see it when we go to the gas station and fill up our gas pump. And then he tried to basically say, Oh, it's all Trump's fault. Take a listen to that part of the State of the Union that he just said just a few minutes ago. The American deficit went up four years in a row. Because those record deficits, no president added more to the national debt in any four years than my predecessor. Nearly 25 percent of the entire national debt that took over 200 years to accumulate was added by just one administration alone, the last one. They're the facts. Check it out. Check it out. That's the fact, Jax. Well, you know what? That's what he always says. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Of course, he fails to mention COVID, which devastated the world. And he has yet to take on Xi Jinping, this president. Uh, That's a whole other issue. We're waiting to see if he has the audacity to brag about taking down a balloon 
that took eight days for him to come down. By the way, he is speaking about COVID right now. Uh, let's listen in if he finally acknowledges that that was the reason the economy was in the toilets when he came in. Remembering them, we remain vigilant. We still need to monitor dozens of variants and support new vaccines and treatments. So Congress needs to fund these efforts and keep America safe. And as we emerge from this crisis stronger, we're also got to double down on prosecuting criminals who stole relief money meant to keep workers and small businesses afloat. And let's see if he admits that the economy uh, was hit hard like every other economy across the world because of COVID. No, it seems like he's blaming everything on President Trump and trying to spin the numbers to his favor. Uh, let's go to your calls, guys. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Eric on line five. Eric, your thoughts of what you're hearing uh, along with me and everybody else. Wow. I can't really listen. In, in spurts, I can. But but I have been hearing, well, see, the worst thing you can do during a debate or if you're just discussing someone, something with someone, you know, that doesn't agree and they can't defend themselves, they can't defend themselves honestly, they try to mischaracterize your position. And I've never heard those kind of boos. My memory's not as what it was, but I don't remember ever hearing those kind of boos during State of the Union. You know, yeah. I the mean, only, the only I, thing, you know, I thought of, Eric, remember uh, Congressman Joe Wilson at one point stood up during the Barack Obama time. I can't remember what the issue was, but he was like, liar, remember liar. And he shouted it over and over again. It was this back and forth exchange, but it was a single guy kind of standing up. But I agree with you. I've never heard sort of a unanimous booze. And what was interesting, Eric, was that the Democrats weren't overriding the booze. They were just kind of letting the booze happen, which maybe is a sign of how they feel about Joe Biden. Uh, and, in fact, Eric, take a listen. Here's here's that moment that you're talking about when he brought up Social Security and Medicare, and, boy, the booze were loud. Some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it, unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. <laughs> you know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks. The idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond, <laughs> folks. Certainly, some interesting moments there from the State of the Union address, and clearly, this president is out of whack because even the Democrats were letting the Republicans boo. 
And then ultimately he said, well, I guess we all agree that we're not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. And everybody stood. So he was throwing it out there and didn't land a punch so far on the Republicans. We're going to continue with our live coverage of the State of the Union address after we go to our news. And also then we will have the GOP response from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So we have an action-packed night here on 77 WABC. Stay tuned for our special coverage of the State of the Union. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.